We're human too, you know. Eyes, teeth, hands, blood. Exactly like you. There really isn't any telling you apart, is there? Absolutely identical in every respect. I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. There's always an alternate. Lily's the best choice. No, but she wants my role. Every dancer in the world wants your role. No, this is different. She's after me. She's trying to replace me. Nobody's after you. No, please believe me. Here at the Lucas Clinic, we strive to bring you closer to celebrity than ever before. With samples drawn directly from the source, you can be connected in ways you never imagined. Tell him you know me. You must know me. But this is Mr. Pellet. What do you want with him? I am Pellet. I am Pellet. This is uh, this is my friend Anna. She's she's also an actress. Have I seen you in anything? No, I would be surprised. Man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he'll tell you the truth. Welcome to episode three, The Double. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this, I've, loved, I've been loving the weather recently. I know. It makes me so happy. Though I did tell you earlier, I burnt my scalp being out in the garden yesterday. Oh, so. God. Yeah. You forgot your bucket hat. Yeah, wear a hat. Wear a hat or get that like scalp SPF spray that you can. I do actually have hair, if anyone was wondering. <laughs> um, but the sun like got through. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! No, but you're really lucky that you got to garden because I would just love that the peace that comes from that activity. Actually, you should totally move somewhere with a garden. I think oh, it's time. I think so. I think yeah. it'd be good for me. Yeah, I think you read really, the fact that you've managed the whole lockdown without <laughs> it is quite impressive. <laughs> I'm more resilient than I thought. Yeah. Also, I did my finances today, and I figured that the only place I can afford to buy a house is like way out in the country. So I think gardens oh. are going to be part of my future. Okay, yeah, big fair open enough. spaces. Big open spaces, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was really pleased with uh the response we got to, to lookalikes last week. It was really cool. I was actually really I really enjoyed that episode. I enjoy all episodes, but some of them are like my pets more than others. And last episode I really liked. I think I really enjoyed uh face off, picking apart face off. Me too. Um, I think we really got to the bottom of that. And actually after the episode, I realized that the last thing he does before um, going and taking this secret mission is promising his wife that they'll go to therapy. Oh, yeah. Um, like I hadn't realized in the episode, but that is what he says. Like, I'll go to therapy with you. I'll talk about our dead son, like whatever you want. And then he immediately like becomes embroiled in this, this whole thing. And so wow. isn't it actually just about a guy avoiding going to therapy? 
But but yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I hadn't even realized that he. But of course, now now you mention it, I'm remembering him saying that. Mm. But it could either be that he, all of this has ensued because he's avoided going to therapy, or maybe this is his internal life while he's in therapy. Ooh, that is also really good. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Okay, so this is face off part two. We're going to just yeah, yeah. continue to talk about this. I know. Yeah, it's the most like um, kind of deconstruction worthy film of all time. I knew, I knew that would happen. Like, it's always the films that we kind of put in the series as a joke that like end up, you know, know. having like you know having the most to say about them. And yeah. yeah, I knew it as soon as as soon as you floated that one, I was just like, I think this is going to be more than we think it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, in a way, I have to actually um, give credit to our listeners because I saw someone mention that film in our comments on social mm -hmm. media, and they're like, "Are you going to cover Face Off?" I hadn't even thought of it, so kudos to that person. Yeah, we will always take your suggestions. Not like yeah. we won't always agree to your no. suggestions, but we'll always look at your suggestions and consider them. So when we do those polls, then yeah, feel free to drop Absolutely. in. Absolutely. think would be good. Also because me and Mary are quite, you know, I think we're quite specific in our tastes. Like we've seen mm. a lot of films. We have, we're looking for certain things. So we sometimes forget the obvious. Yeah. Like I was speaking to my friend Rebecca and she was like, are you going to do sliding doors? And I was uh... like, no, why on earth aren't we going to do sliding doors? I know, I know. <laughs> We will we will definitely cover that in the double part two sometime yeah, down the line in the future. There's there's so many others like there's so many others that could be covered and like I've there was so, there was another one as well that I was like could do something for like trauma, but mm. I can't remember which one it was. Oh well. And there's also the clouds of Sils Maria. Yeah, that would have been good. So we yeah. So I feel like this is a topic that could easily double. You know, we could double yeah. down. <laughs> again yeah keep donating to us and then we'll do all the films in the world exactly oh. exactly um <laughs> you know we, we, we if, if if you donate so that we can live in the kind of a luxurious condition then then you, then we will definitely actually i'm just gonna cut that out because that doesn't sound right <laughs> gonna no, get it around that no no it sounds totally fine i work no. much, i work much better in luxurious conditions <laughs> it's not true that it's pro it's propaganda of the rich that you I need know. poverty to work creatively you do not no you need luxury yeah, you okay do. i'll keep it in i'll yeah. keep it in um okay so this time we're going to be talking about clones yeah. um which is such a unique kind of concept to, for, to think about because it's something that is scientifically you know, or theoretically possible mm -hmm. to clone people. So I wanted to ask you, Sarah, would you ever want to be cloned? And if so, in which situation? Wow, that is a really good question. Mm. Hmm. Would I want to be cloned? I mean, kind of, um, well, maybe I would like clone myself and use myself as like a business partner. <laughs> <laughs> So that I could, but then like, I don't know, then I would have to pay for both of us to live. So it wouldn't work. I wouldn't just be, you know, it would just be like, uh, that's terrible. The capitalist in me was like, I would like a workhorse. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember like 
you know how when you don't want to go to bed you like invent things that reasons why you don't why you can't go to sleep or whatever and I remember once my dad coming in to see what was wrong with me and I was going I need a big sister (laughs) I just I actually like I must have been about four or five and I remember the look of like just can't do anything about that on his face (laughs) (laughs) so maybe then I would have like really liked an older clone of me but would would have been a little bit older but I didn't think that's possible but maybe it is I mean I no that's a really good point and in a way like you know siblings are kind of sometimes talked about I've heard parents talk about having a second or third child so that the first one isn't lonely yeah so there is yeah it is a real practical like motivation to to, like grow your family um so yeah I suppose that is kind of like a cloning (laughs) element involved in that we'll just clone you so you won't be alone you know I wonder why if that's why second children often feel so hard done by (laughs) well I mean I actually heard um because I watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians Mm -hmm. like unironically I really like that show um (laughs) isn't it over it is, but I, I'm catching up because I have I've missed loads of seasons, oh, okay. so I'm on like season twelve or whatever. And Chris Jenner told Kylie Jenner that she, they decided to have her. She was planned so that Kendall wouldn't be alone growing up. She, they, she needed a little buddy. Aww. And you could just visibly see like Kylie's face. She was really upset by that. She was like, "Oh, is that all I was? Just like a little companion?" interesting yeah um but anyway um I was thinking about in what circumstance I would clone myself um just because I have like I'm a little bit shy you know in in public I'm very shy I'm not a little bit shy I'm like pathologically shy um I would clone myself and that person can be the the social uh obligations person (laughs) Do you think that, but wouldn't your clones be exactly like you? So wouldn't it be kind of torturing them <laughs> to make them go out, go out to lots of parties? Yeah, they would be like cripplingly timid and like. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's more fair to like divide up the parties so that you only have to go to half as much. No, I don't care. That's my, that's my clone. Okay. She, that, that is going <laughs> to Okay. <laughs> I don't care if she's upset. She has to go out to all the parties and she could be the queen of the Irish goodbye. Do you, do you know that expression? Yeah, but we call it a French exit. Oh, do you? Yeah, and ah. in France they call it um, uh, English exit. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of conflict between these three nations. Yeah, I think it is something to do with like military like ah. uh, mythologies between okay. each countries of who runs away. <laughs> yeah I mean you know I don't I don't mind that so much for my clone because then she can develop like a mystique you know she could be mysterious like oh where did Mary go we don't know oh well you know and it's just also like she might overcome her social anxiety just by (laughs) through the kind of what exposure exposure that you're forcing her to have um so you might grow jealous of her (laughs) I know she'll actually be like a social butterfly and super popular and like actually like not socially awkward and I'll just be super jealous I think it's just I think cloning is just a hideous minefield in that way I know yeah it is it is totally is in that way I'm I'm very kind of um 
I tend to, to, to gravitate towards the, Catholic, the you know Catholicism's views on these like scientific experiments. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like ungodly. Don't mess with this. Yeah, um, I mean, we've already come up against several problems, so I'm yeah. just talking about it. So <laughs> yeah, we have actually. We've underpinned the kind of core ethical issues. Um, yeah, so I was thinking like with the two films we're going to be discussing today relating to, to, to clones, um, which are going to be Moon and The Broken and That or- Order, the most relevant theory that I came across was actually um, ideas found in, in the text by Edgar Allan Poe in mm-hmm. his story, William Wilson. Um, this is a short story first published in 1839, and it explores the themes of the double and the whole story is that there's a ki- there's a kid called William Wilson, and he meets a boy at school with with the same name, with the same appearance, and who shares the same birthday as him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he even dresses and walks like William, but like speaks in a whisper, mm-hmm. and he gives orders that William refuses to obey, and William actually resents the boy's arrogance. Um, his face even grows to become exactly like William's own. And he he just, you know, William always feels like under constant surveillance of his double. And the two Williams even attend Eton and Oxford together. Um, Actually, this is starting to sound like the the, the life story of David Cameron and George Osborne. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's way more horrific. Um, anyway, they gradually become more debauched and mischievous, but each time the other William appears, his face is covered and he whispers, and then he leaves with no, no one else ever seeing him. Mm. Um, anyway, spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, finally, William decides one day to fatally stab his lookalike, but as he does so, he sees that he's actually wounded himself. Mm. Um, very black swan very black swan um and a large mirror reflects back at him his own blood-soaked image and at this point there's the beautiful line this is one of my my favorite lines in literature ever which i'm actually going to read out and i rarely read out quotes but this this is worth it um in this in the text it says you have conquered and i yield yet henceforth art thou also dead Dead to the world, to heaven and to hope. In me did you exist, and in my death see by this image, which is thine own, how utterly thou hast murdered thyself. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so beautiful. I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like you said that something that about something every episode. Maybe not, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. I want that tattooed across my back, you know? That can be my trans my tramp stamp. Um okay. <laughs> but um <laughs> But I just love it. And actually, this quote appears, uh, do you recall, in the first in the frame? In the beginning of the broken. In the beginning of the broken. Mm. So obviously, very deliberate nod to Edgar Allan Poe there. But anyway, um, the division of the self is really reinforced by the, narrator, the narrator's uh, admission that William Wilson is actually a pseudonym, like the mm. son of Will. Um, so something that is born out of his own will, you know, um, mm-hmm. his own, uh, I guess, yeah, purpose. Um, 
William Wilson was will has willed effectively himself into being along with the double that shares that name. Yeah. Um, and I think about this story and I can't help but, you know, think about how psychologically driven it is and that, you know, that the, this idea of cloning in a story that there's like this exact copy of you um, who shares every, you know, who shares every characteristic, who follows you around. I mean, obviously there's a Jungian analysis that can be done of that. You know, mm-hmm. the second William is just the, the first one's shadow. Um, but I feel like the this doubling element that is so closely tied to violence and murder and destruction um, sits very comfortably in Otto Rank's book about, you know, the second the second part of in history where the double suddenly turns into something evil mm. um, and how it depicts like this split that is undesirable, uh, you know, uncomfortable in the psyche, mm-hmm. uh, the death drive, you know, the, the actual um, irony that we, we are the ones destroying ourselves. It's not someone and someone plotting to get us. We are actually conspiring <laughs> the whole time, you know, um, plot twist. It was us all along kind of thing. Um, That's interesting because I feel like both of these films have kind of um, like a a near fatal experience that um, Mm. the characters to a certain extent seems like they they almost like want or they've almost kind of willed themselves towards. Yeah, that is so true. Mm. They're both uh, car crash films. They're both car crash films. Mm. You're right. Oh, my God. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, I only did when I wrote the synopsis because I did use the word crash twice. (laughs) Wow, that is such a good association. I mm. love it's true. It's like, um, but the car crash is such a perfect visual uh, device for communicating like that collision with yourself. Mm. It takes you by surprise and it's like totally discombobulating and you you, you come away from it scathed in some way. Um, but it's it's a confrontation with yourself, actually. Mm. Wow, okay, I, I really dig that. <laughs> um, okay, let's start with Moon. Okay, I'm going to synopsize. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moon, 2009, Duncan Jones. In a near future, Sam is a miner stationed on the moon to mine the alternative fuel helium-3 from lunar soil. With a three-year contract and problems with communication at the base, Sam only speaks to his family via pre-recorded messages and his only companion is a robot named Gertie. Two weeks before he's scheduled to return to Earth, Sam begins to have hallucinations of a teenage girl and an old man, one of which causes him to crash his lunar vehicle. Awakening in the infirmary with no memory of the crash, Sam begins to grow suspicious of Gertie and the management back on Earth, who send orders that he not leave the base. When Sam convinces Gertie to let him outside, he discovers a man who looks just like him back at the crash site. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot to this film, so it's quite hard to synopsize. There is a lot to this film. It seems so simple on the surface. I mean, it's really just a one-man show. It's all Sam Rockwell. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, But you're right. There's a lot of different layers going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, This was the first time I watched it. Really? Mm -hmm. Both of these films. Oh, my God. So what did you think of Moon? I had a really good experience with both films. I really enjoyed them both. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Sam Rockwell. I think he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think Kevin Kevin Spacey suits a robot. Yeah. An AI personality. Yeah, his voice is per. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely good. Good uh, voice acting. Yeah, very good. Um, I actually thought like I really just thought of our Welcome Money series. 
I know. Um, for this, it was so. Um, it was. I have some kind of theories about what happens, mm. how it turns out, um, which we can get into a bit later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think that yeah, it really it reminded me of the work on money series, and then it reminded me of my own continuous struggle with the idea of being uh, professionally unspecial and Mm -hmm. replaceable Mm -hmm. um and yeah which I've like been having this week even you know like so Mm. yeah it very much for me it was very much a work film very Um, but what about you no I totally agree I mean I I'd watch I actually saw this um I, I was at the UK premiere for this Ooh, amazing I know in 20 and 2009 um was David Bowie there Unfortunately not, mm. sadly not, but um, Duncan Jones was, Jones was present. He did a Q&A uh, afterwards. Uh, he was lovely. Um, he looked like a really butch David Bowie, <laughs> like, <laughs> really like gruff, manly, you know, um, he was a very sweet guy. Um, what he did, because he's really, he's really clever. Like he did, I think he did like a PhD in philosophy. Mm. And um, he specialized in artificial intelligence. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, he's like a gamer. He's like really tech savvy and stuff. So he's a really cool guy, um, like really knowledgeable. What he did say, um, this I don't recall the whole Q&A experience, except for one moment that really jumps out at me. When, obviously, this was his debut feature, you know. And he said, he said, you know, before we begin this discussion with the audience, I just want to like, um, politely ask everyone not to um, make comparisons with my dad. Wow. He, said, he, he said, please don't, you know, and he's like, I know it's going to be really tempting for you to like, mention my dad or connect this film to his work, because it's like takes place in outer space and stuff. But, you know, just don't do it because that's not what this is. And I'm not intending it like that. Um, And I thought that was really nice of him to be so assertive and, you know, just state his intentions and like um, request that from the audience. Like a huge respect for him to do that. But then this total idiot, like during the Q&A, put up his hand and he, he got the mic and he said, so anyway, th- is this like Starman, you know, is, are you like, is this like, you know? Oh my gosh. And I was like. That's so are embarrassing. You, are you insane? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was cringing like in my seat. Like I nearly hit the floor. Like It was just so embarrassing. Well, it's only embarrassing for one person in the room. And that's that guy. Like, yeah. That's he was awful. so. Just someone who thinks of a question and then like is going to ask it regardless of what's being said. I yeah, think exactly. I think that, that, that's the shame. Like that's all. That's the only people that actually do ask questions in Q&A's. Yeah, like, and it's like a real shame. I remember, I remember being at the Q and A for, um, God, what is that film um, about the girl who pretends to be like this couple's daughter, like this couple's missing daughter? Don't know what the title. I can see Nancy. That's yes, it. That's, that's it. it. So I went to see Nancy at the London Film Festival, and it was just like it was a, the most amazing Q and A. It's the director. Andrew Riseborough and Barbara Broccoli, who had produced it. Oh, right. Um, and they were talking about like producing work by women and like it was so amazing. Cool. And just like 
nobody asked a question I guess because like all of those guys that were like had something you know like would have prepared something clever to say like weren't interested in asking a question uh-huh. and then like they were all just like we love London so much and like and I, I was just like it was just agonizing so I put up my hand and I was like you all look really nice <laughs> because they did they were all in like metallic sparkling dresses they looked amazing for like a monday night like at the ica uh, film screening and then i was like you're all talking about how much you love london do you want to come and make something in the uk (laughs) like that was all i said but i just could but like i just couldn't bear that they weren't going to get any questions so you all look so nice (laughs) that is so lovely (laughs) That is beautiful. That's really nice energy. <laughs> oh my god! They seemed a bit stunned, really. Like I, I, now, it could have been interpreted really badly that they were all like, you know, women making films, like every aspect <laughs> of the of the you know the work process. And I was like, you all look really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they that's... had kind of it was like they dressed for a theme, like they were all like shimmery wow. and metallic, so. I would have I would have thought that that comment would have then broken the eyes and then maybe some other people would have been like actually I have something I think I actually a couple of people did ask stuff after me ah, so I, that see? was my intent it was like it didn't really matter how stupid I looked I just didn't want them to not have anyone ask them any questions because oh, yeah, the film sweet. was amazing it was so cool and if I and I if I'd gone in there pre- prepared to ask questions I would have thought it was something better like there's loads <laughs> that I would want to ask about that film but yeah yeah Oh, that's cool. You know what? I actually saw that film at the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. Oh, cool. Yeah, in Berlin. Like, it was really cool um, screening. They choose great films. I know. They're really good. Mm -hmm. Shout out to them for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, just back to this. um, It's really impressive that he came out with this as a debut film. Um, You could tell that his sort of philosophical preoccupations run right through the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also cool that he made a film that was like a sci-fi film that looks so stripped down, very similar to these kind of seventies films that we used to get like Solaris. Um, well, that's the other thing that made me think it was just a very much about work because it was I like, am. it's a bit dirty, like the space suits, are, you know, it, and, mm-hmm. and this guy is like, you know, signified to be very working class I think yeah. like, it's like you know it's like jogging bottoms that he wears when he's off duty and you know he's like a he's a manual worker so, yeah yeah I did think it was I know all the while watching it like re-watching it again last night I, I felt that this would have slotted in perfectly in our work and money series mm-hmm. because um like I was kind of kicking myself that I didn't think of it because the kind of ma- the mass duplication of the workers' condition and kind of alienating workers from each other. I mean, literally in this case, mm-hmm. you know, um, isolating them, um, kind of like misdirecting them into like, you know, selling them promises that will never be kept. Yes. Um, and, and actually really kind of gaslighting their suffering and then abandoning them. You know, like literally chewing them up and then spitting them out. And I think that, you know, this like character of Gertie, who is, mm. you know, is kind of, they, you know, they kind of quest because he, he lets him go outside when he's mm-hmm. been given orders not to. Like he gets yeah. persuaded, even though he's an AI who's programmed to do things a certain way. He gets persuaded to let um, Sam go outside where he discovers the clone. Yeah. Um, and then he 
um, gives him the password for the you know the messaging service so that he can call home and he tells him what's happening and I think that you know that's coded as Gertie being like on his side or being mm. a really nice person but I think that's really malevolent actually yeah. I think that what's the what's happening is is like actually what happens with lots of people at work where your bosses will sh- be like look see that person they're younger than you they're hungrier than you they've got more ideas and mm. like if you don't behave what boy can just replace you with them yeah and so I don't think you know I think Gertie's the evilest one (laughs) more evil than the you know he's there to orchestrate the realization that he's worthless I know basically and I think that it's only by only an accident that you know the the Sam 3 or whichever you know Mm. that clone is decides you know if I'm so, if I'm, if I am worthless, then I might as well like sacrifice my body to the cause of the workers, as opposed to sacrifice my body to the oh. cause of of the management. Yeah, you know, so it kind of doesn't it has the un- unintended effect. But I think the intended effect was like was to let them know that they that they are they have a short lifespan, they're replaceable, and they they don't have any humanity. Oh, it's evil. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't really considered that I mean I was you know what it's funny you should say that I was kind of taken in a little bit by Gertie I was oh could... we all were we were all taken in by Kevin Spacey for a long time <laughs> yeah, touche for sure but I mean with with Gertie I was I, I I don't know if it was like the emojis like the cute emojis and the beautiful score by Clint Mansell like that gorgeous music that is so emotionally evocative mm. At, when there's a realization by one of the clones and he feels like the full despair of his situation and he's really sad and realizes there is no family like expecting him, you mm-hmm. know, it's all just a total plot, you know, to just con- make him continue working for a certain amount of time. When that sadness sets in and the music kicks in, you know, it's all very sad. And Gertie just shows this like, frowning emoji and then like the tear emoji yeah it was cute I actually cried (laughs) the first time like the first time I saw that I remember at the at the premiere I I was tearful I was like oh my god Gertie's such a good friend but like no Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's not he's a manipulating bastard yeah he is he really is um so it's really just you know those two that you know, yeah, it's an unintended consequence. I think that he escapes yeah. in the end and, like, you know, raises awareness of what's going on back on Earth. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's. I think that Gertie. I think that's the that's the way that they prevent like rebellion in the last stages. Is by yes. showing that you know, like you're you're just one of many. You're not important. Yeah, yeah that is so true. Mm. And yeah, I suppose that the, the decision to. Um, utilize the knowledge of the duplication Mm -hmm. like at least consciously like decide to do something productive with it and as as you say instead of just being compliant with management um, that's kind of taking the Edgar Allan Poe twist of the story of the knowledge of duplication but like doing something worthwhile with it Mm -hmm. you know rather than just completely commit to the self-destruction yeah um yeah, that's so true. Oh, maybe we should have done this last. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> No, I think it's better to keep it where it is. Okay. Just because I feel like well, I'll say why later. Okay, cool. Um 
but yeah, there's something else um, for me at the heart of uh, of this that I found really interesting because obviously it works really, really well in terms of a great allegory for working and the autonomy and agency of the worker mm-hmm. that is being diminished through their value being duplicated and themselves being isolated and atomized. There's something else. And I only know this because Duncan Jones said in the Q&A that for a very long time, he was conducting a long distance relationship with his girlfriend Mm -hmm. who lived in South Korea. And he lived, um, I believe at that time he lived in the States. He was going, he was like a student. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he was at university. Anyway, for several years, they just were in this relationship, but for like many months, they didn't see each other. They were just communicating like online or on telephone, whatever. It was just a long distance relationship. And he said that he wanted to represent that somehow in the movie. And, you know, because we see like uh, Sam conducting these telephone calls with his wife, Eve, or at least you know, a recording Mm -hmm. of his wife and his daughter, you know, he sees his baby daughter, whatever. And like, he has no idea like where he is in the real timeline, timeline of things Mm -hmm. and where he is in the chronology of people's lifespans. You know, he just sees the message that he is given and he takes it at face value. Um, But Duncan Jones said that he wanted to communicate the anxiety of long distance relationships Mm. Um, that, you know, you kind of hold, ev- you hang everything on this phone call, you know, like that you have regularly with your love interest, your partner, whatever, and you don't get to see them, but whatever experience you have in those little communications means the world, you know, and that becomes your reality kind of thing. Mm. But there's also all the time, the dread of being replaced by a copy of yourself, you know, that whatever you are, you could just be duplicated or replicated where they are, but in person. And, you know, he said that it was kind of like he wanted to inject the movie with this um, theme of the fear that there may be many, many of you, you know, your your girlfriend could be out there and she may have like a whole, you know, host of Sam's, whatever, Duncan's, yeah. you know, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and maybe she thinks the same thing about you. You know, there's always this like underlying guilt or anxiety and um, that also you may even be replaceable as a lover, that you just might be serving a specific function for this relationship but that ultimately you have no real value. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think that is really interesting. And it actually does tie into some thoughts that I had about the broken, about mm. the like the, the thing about all kind of intimate relationships, whether that's family or friends or lovers, is that they can be over like that. Yeah. Like, they really can. Like they can just they like for various reasons, they can there's no certainty in any relationships at all um and that's and if you kind of confront the enormity of that that's completely terrifying because like relationships what we base our lives around so yeah I can definitely see why that idea of you know of the threat of others other replacements is just so completely terrifying yeah yeah exactly like you know 
because we, we'd like to think that we've entered a relationship and we we fulfill a unique function for the other person mm. that cannot be replaced. And of course that can happen. I'm not saying that can never happen, but it's probably more healthy to think that, that it's a little bit more nuanced than that, you know, that your, your, your partner could enjoy themselves or have a fantasy or, or you even, you know, either one of you could reach some kind of like satisfaction or fulfillment in other ways that are replicated elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't all have to be absolutely centered in the other. When the emphasis and and the obsession is that it has to be, that's when disappointment ensues. And there's, it's like devastating, you know, how could you replace me? Mm -hmm. But that doubling is, I'm I'm just suggesting that it happens unconsciously all the time, you know? And that's okay. There's, you know, you can't be everything to someone and that person can't be everything to you. Uh, I'm not, this is not uh, like a preamble for me to to encourage people to like have affairs or something. But it's why (laughs) Um, affairs are so devastating. Like we, I think we think that there's some kind of morality aspect to it or something. It's not, it's not that at all. It's something like so much deeper and unconscious. But I always think that's the, I think that the, younger generation or my generation even attempts to kind Mm of um attempts to make infidelity okay um in you know like let's be like attempts to kind of apply logic to like things that upset you and Mm -hmm. I just think that's an impossible task because yeah there is no it's not logical at all it's just there's there's a reason that like therapy offices are full of people that have been cheated on (laughs) right like you know finding it so hard to deal with yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, rationalizing these things doesn't mean that y- you give license to bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just providing an explanation for why it feels so devastating when it happens. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I guess I'm just like a big proponent of not overly policing someone's fantasy life. Oh, definitely. I completely agree. That's more my vibe. Like mm-hmm. if, they, if they're going to go out and do something consequential in the material world, then we have to have words. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I mean, I've seen people say that if their husband or wife watches porn and they don't, they feel cheated on, that they feel like their erotic life has been duplicated or doubled in this other medium and they feel devastated for I me, that's if they're just responding area. to like the weird alienation of porn, though. Like for some people, porn is terrifying. For me, like yeah. whenever I look at it, I'm just like, everyone's so ugly. Like this is so, <laughs> and I don't just mean like physically, people are ugly. I mean like the whole thing, the aesthetic, the aesthetic, like the the genitals, <laughs> like they're so <laughs> ugly. They're so <laughs> ugly and raw, like chickens, and I don't like it. Um, but yeah, like there's, but there's something, there's something really horrifying about porn. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what those people are kind of responding to. Maybe that's what they're responding <laughs> and to. And they, they, like, like, they'll say it's a fidelity thing, but actually it's just like, how can, like, <laughs> how can you like this? It's so frightening. <laughs> like, how can you prefer this body horror to Yeah, me? exactly. Like... <laughs> Whereas actual body horror, I totally get it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> No, it's so funny because I I don't mind porn aesthetics at all. Yeah, like it's obviously some people don't, but like other yeah, people, yeah, like, I find it's, it's matter- so frightening and upsetting. It's totally a, t- a matter of taste. Like mm. this is all down to like personal taste for sure. 
Um, but and and actually, you know, there's also the issue of porn addiction. I mean, some people are just addicted yeah. because it's so widely available. And then, of course, that that can interfere with intimate relationships. No question. Um, maybe that wasn't the best example to, to <laughs> reflect like internal fantasy life or whatever. But but yeah, I just think that um, uh, there's some great uh, uh, there's some other great films that like capture this dynamic, you know, of uh, th- these competing fantasies, like these du- doubling dual dualistic kind of fantasies in people's minds when they're in a romantic embrace mm-hmm. do you remember that moment in um blade runner 2046 i didn't see it I'm oh sorry. my god sarah i didn't like i don't like blade runner so I didn't, but then I have been told that like some people who don't like Blade Runner did yeah. like Blade Runner twenty. It's not at all similar. Yeah, I don't like Blade Runner. I think it's just nonsense. Oh my god! Um, I know that's really sacrilegious, and like, but <laughs> it's okay. You're um, you're good. You're good. This is the podcast to say these things. Yeah, that's my unpopular opinion. I think Blade Runner is just a ridiculous failure, um, and it looks amazing. And if it was maybe yeah. a silent movie, then I would be okay with it. But I just think every single thing anyone says is total nonsense. Like, mm. there's no, like, there's no, it's, it just doesn't make sense. Like, character development-wise, mm. narrative-wise, it's all just, it's such a mess. Yes. And I just find it really frustrating. No, I can appreciate that. I mean, if that's if that's your view of the first one, then you will definitely like the second, th- this other one better. Okay, cool. I will. I will. It's add very just. Di- it's very different tonally. Um, I'm not saying it's a better movie personally for me, but I think maybe I think you'll appreciate it more for sure. Okay, cool. Um, I'm just giving but, our audience a heads up as well. I'm not apologizing for that opinion in the next episode. Hell no. Like no. I know that I shouldn't have said that thing about Sagittarius's, but Blade Runner sucks. So. <laughs> 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 no apology needed. No apology needed. Absolutely. I want I want this to be like our, our podcast to be the home of like shocking statements and like announcements. Okay, you know? cool. <laughs> Absolutely. More power to you. But anyway, there's a scene in, in um, Denis Villeneuve's film in Blade, Blade Runner 2046. This doesn't ruin anything, by the way. Um, it doesn't. It's not a plot twist or anything. Mm. But there's a moment where. Um, Ryan Gosling's character is he wants to be with one woman and through the magic of holograms he's like he manages to double the physicality of another woman projected onto that person whoa yeah it's all very like so what I'm saying is that there's this kind of these there's the competing fantasies that are doubled. I mean, actually, that would have re- been a good film as well for our series. There's also um, that bit in um, her where he yeah. likes like, the voice of his AI lover in his ear, and then like she's being like played by a different woman. Yes, it's funny you should mention that because a lot of people said that those two scenes in those movies are very very similar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. Um, yeah, I, I just like the way that this movie kind of this, you know, Duncan Jones's film Moon, I, it sort of addresses these things. And of course, that being set in space um, is perfect to kind of capture that terrifying isolation. And, and, and in this kind of like, empty space, mm-hmm. being confronted with the fact that 
yes, you're not alone, but that's not good news. <laughs> you know, like you're confronted with the worst possible thing, which yeah. is that there are many of you and none of you mean anything. God, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you know? it is. You're right. It is totally a relationship film as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know what else to say on that. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like I've reached my capacity for Moon. Um, shall we move yeah. on to The Broken? Let's move on. Okay, cool. So um, you said you'd never seen this before. I've never seen it. I've seen Sean Ellis's other film, Cashback. Oh, Cashback, yeah. Um, which I really liked. Um, I think I liked it more as a um, short film than mm-hmm. uh, when it was a feature, but I still liked it as a feature. I thought it was really nice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened to Sean Ellis. I know. Well, actually, he has made some other films. Um, he made a film, I think maybe four or five years ago, called Anthropoid. Oh, okay. Which was written, was actually co-written by Sean and friend of the pod, Tony Fruin. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, really, really cool. So obviously Tony used to work with Stanley Kubrick. He mm. was an associate, longtime associate of Kubrick's. Um, so yeah, he's still, he's still, you know, doing some things, although I still haven't watched Anthropoid. Um, I need to catch up on that. Mm. I'm just going to let you do the synopsis and then I'll, I'll say what I thought of it. Okay, cool. So The Broken, 2008, Sean Ellis. Mm -hmm. Gina, a radiologist, begins her day by picking up her car from the garage and going to work at a hospital where she encounters the x-ray of a patient with situs inversus, a condition where the heart and other organs are mirrored from their usual positions. Later, she attends a surprise birthday party for her father, along with her boyfriend Stefan, brother Daniel, and his girlfriend Kate. In the middle of the dinner party, a mirror on the wall suddenly falls and smashes, surprising the guests into silence. The next day, Gina sees a woman who looks exactly like her and, in distress, crashes her car. Perfect. Mm -hmm. A bit of a shortened version of what happens up to that point, but you can expand. Uh, Lena Headey as Gina. Yes, I don't know who is is she in other things. She yeah, so she is the most well known for being in Game of Thrones, which I've never oh, seen. Okay, yes, actually, I do recognize her now. Now that you say that, yeah, 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 she's great. Yeah, she's really good. Everyone's really good. Who's the American who plays her father? Oh, good question. Um, I really like that guy. I feel like I've seen him in something else. Yeah, me too. I feel like he's in everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me find it it's while you do that i'm just going to do some asmr and pour myself a glass of water oh perfect because i've been waiting to do that because i'm about to get it dry (laughs) no worries so the guy who plays john mcveigh the father is richard jenkins oh yeah what else has he been in i don't know but everything I think. okay yeah he's been in everything he was yeah. in the shape of water he was in burn after reading oh yeah um okay you're right like he's just one of those actors he's just a great like always, character actor really. always working yeah, yeah for sure I'm, I ha- I'm gonna launch into like a moment of just worshiping this film for a minute okay cool I love this movie like I cannot tell you how much I adore it I think that I you mentioned it to me a very long time ago like it's (laughs) one of your kind of go-to films like if there was like it's like would be if you had a letterbox account it would be like the top it would be in the top six or the top four whichever whatever oh totally yeah totally 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 I actually rented this dvd 
from Blockbuster. Oh, That's how. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, back when there were still Blockbusters. I mean, I think it was in the final, like, age of Blockbuster mm-hmm. or whatever. But, and I remember at the time I was living in, in the outskirts of London and I was not having a very good time. But I watched this and it cheered me up. It cheered me right up. Oh. It's such it's such a comfort watch for me. I know it seems weird because it's a horror movie. It is quite scary. Like, it is very scary. Yeah. There's a lot of jump scares and like, but I don't know, something about it. I think maybe because there was such a direct reference to Edgar Allan Poe and I love my darling Edgar. Mm-hmm. As, the divine um, Edgar. The divine Edgar, exactly. It's It's kind of like an abstract love that I can't quite articulate why I love it so much. I can comment very objectively and, you know, really praise like the how this film was made. I mean, the cinematography is exquisite. Mm-hmm. The way that it makes London look like, I don't know, it just is so beautiful. Like, I just love the way it looks. Um, every frame to me just is glittering with beauty. And the characters uh, are so chic. Yes, they're so chic. I think Sean Ellis maybe worked in fashion for a while. Or advertising or something like that. Yeah. Um, Because his first film is like executive produced by Daphne Guinness. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I think he's got connections in the fashion industry and that's why Gina is so incredibly like well-dressed. Well-dressed. Yeah. Like timelessly, classically dressed. Beautiful. Beautiful. And um, I mean, obviously this would be something that, you know, I, I would have found interesting anyway because of the psychological dimension, of course. There's a suggestion that she might have been, you know, there might be mental illness caused after the accident or whatever. But specifically this idea of Capgras syndrome mm-hmm. that is suggested in the movie. In the movie. Um, it's a misidentification delusion. The belief that one's spouse has been replaced by an identical, identical looking imposter. Yeah, it was actually uh, it used to be called an illusion of lookalikes. This is the first time that I encountered this concept was through this film. And it just completely lit up my imagination. Like, what would that look like? You live somewhere and you're living with your girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or husband. But you become completely convinced that they've been replaced by a lookalike, Mm -hmm. by a clone. Oh my God, like it just blew my mind. Well, it's, uh, there's lots of forms of it as well, isn't there? Of Capgras. Yeah, because it can yeah. be like that someone you know has been replaced. It can be that you're dead and yeah. no one else notices. Um, yeah. My dad had a patient that thought Marble Arch had been replaced. <gasps> no. I don't know why that matters, that it had been replaced. <laughs> but it did. It really, really did. Seems like a lot of bother for no yeah. particular definitely not as upsetting as a spouse but yeah apparently still upsetting that is fascinating yeah I mean yeah like the fact that because she she becomes convinced that post-accident everything's like subtly unfamiliar Mm -hmm. you know she suddenly entered this world where something's awry like something's off kilter and she can't quite figure out what it is of course, it turns out, you know, spoiler alert, there are these mirror clones <laughs> that are like busting out of the reflection and killing the original copy mm-hmm. and then replacing them in their life. Um, and this is this is just 
apparently it's some kind of epidemic of this. Everyone is experiencing this at the same time. Yeah, it's like the proto-us. Yes, it is like the proto-us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's this whole, yeah, it suggested that there's this kind of secret world behind the mirror where the, there's characters are just like existing and suddenly they come out. Well, that is actually quite a trope of like of like crime uh, dramas mm. and murder mysteries and things like people living in your walls. Um, oh my god! And stuff yeah. like that. And there is like a real life murder where this like poor like old woman was um, like murdered by like youths that like broke. They were in like this sort of councilist like uh, projects. You know, like in America, they're called council estates projects. Uh-huh. Um, in Chicago, and it was built in a way that it, you could smash through the glass in your bathroom mirror and get into someone else's bathroom. <gasps> Oh my god! Um, yeah, it's absolutely fucking terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just watch out for the mirror people. <laughs> if you're, oh if you're, but like you know, I think oh her, no. her family like sued the like the you know the building management for built like you know for doing architecture like that. It's just like crazy sure. that you could do that. Um, okay, now yeah. I have something else to worry about when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's know. not enough that I'm like thinking about snakes in the toilet. Why now is, I have. <laughs> <laughs> why a mirror is the most like frightening thing of all time? I, I don't know. know why, like... I know. Did you ever used to do that thing when you were like a kid, um, where you would just stare at, the, at your reflection in the mirror for like hours? Like. Oh, I, I used to do something where I would like look at my reflection and like until my face got scary. Yes, and exactly. I would like scare myself like with my yeah, like, with, by making my eyes big and stuff like that. <laughs> Why do kids do that? It's really weird. I know. I used to do the same thing. I just sit there and like look at the bathroom mirror for maybe not hours, but like long enough that my features would start to seem weird to me. Yeah, as if it's somebody else's face. And then I would suddenly blink or do something and it seemed like it was another person there mm. watching me, not actually me. And it used to scare the living daylights out of me. But I used to do it for fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, God. I'm actually, I keep, there's a mirror behind me and I keep turning around to look at it because I'm really <laughs> getting a bit frightened of the mirror girl. And I'm by myself in the house. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm 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 not there with you, but at least I can call nine one nine nine nine. That's true. That is true. Like I'll I'll at least become an urban legend or something like that. But oh the girl God. who died on it like while she was recording the podcast, um, which is totally going to happen at some point. No, I won't let it. Not to me, someone, because there are so many millions of podcasts in the world. It's only like statistically likely that someone will die while they're recording. Like, <laughs> such a funny concept to like, me i don't know why it's like but... how like every time there's like a new social media platform like there's a murder that is like then like the myspace murder the tinder murder the facebook murder like there's you know the instagram murder because it's just like you get so many people doing one thing like someone's gonna die on it at some point the only fans murder yeah the only fans murder is an amazing film let's write it <laughs> Oh my god, that's so oh good! Okay, we finally figured out a, a, a plot to title it Erotomania. Yes, it's really, really good. <laughs> oh, my, oh god. my god! But back but to yeah, the broken. I think but- <laughs> I can see why you like it so much because mm. um, on first watch, I was like, I got, I, I was like, I've got nothing because I don't feel mm. like I know these people. 
mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I know what could have because you know I know with delusions there tends to be you know if something is a delusion and you're reading it that way yeah there does there tends to be some kind of like inciting incident or like or pervasive anxiety that you know that causes the delusion to become a certain thing yeah and I was like you know I got no idea what that could have been because you don't really know these people and then I ended up having to like go back to the dinner party and be like Mm -hmm. someone must have said something that Mm -hmm. upset everyone enough for this to happen yeah. So it was really like being a. It was really like being a, a you know therapist detective. So maybe that's yeah. why you like it so much because that it appeals to your, you know, you you are shown this thing that is deceptively simple, and you have to really dig into it to figure out what well, happened. I, I've got a few theories. Oh, me too. Okay. You, okay. Let's. Well, you go first. You go first. Okay. Okay, so I have two theories. Mm-hmm. One is that it's something to do with the story that he tells, which is about, he says, you know, he has like a friend who is like an American ambassador mm-hmm. in the UK. And like, he thinks his wife is cheating on him because the lubricant in the bottle is like getting lower and lower, but they're not having sex, mm-hmm. which is like risky because, like, you know, she might have just been masturbating with it. But anyway, then he finds <laughs> out that, you know, she's seeing this English guy. So he switches the lubricant with super glue. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, like, and then he says, like, they were in hospital for hours being, like, surgically separated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a fucking horrible, well, that's a horrible story for your dad to tell you in a dinner party <laughs> that is, like, supposed to be. And, like, everyone's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. It's like, presented as a joke, but it's like, it's, it's like body horror. It's yeah. really traumatic and horrible. Yeah. So, like, that, that's, me- I don't, you know, I haven't thought about that very much, but maybe it's just, like, the pure trauma of that story. But then the other thing that I thought was, mm-hmm. um, it's his. I wondered if it's like actually the dad's film, mm. because it's his. And this sounds really stupid, but you know, like birthday anxiety is really horrible for <laughs> people. And when you like do a thing and you're not sure if people are going to come, and it's really like the anxiety is, does anyone love you? Yes. And the thing that they do to him is that, like, when he gets in, into the house, he's like, mm. you know, holds up whiskey to himself in the mirror and is like, happy birthday. <laughs> and so they've obviously done that thing where they've pretended they've all forgotten so that mm-hmm. they can surprise him. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I kind of settled on is like, the like you should basically never do a surprise party that way like that thing where you make people think you've forgotten about them and then you surprise them because it's like the the surprise party is not enough to make up for the trauma that you are alone and unimportant in the world and so when it, what happens is it's like not the it's not Gina's film at all it's actually the dad's film of like oh it triggers this like existential dread about the meaninglessness of your like intimate family connections the fact wow. that you are essentially just all alone and you may as well be you or like a total you know empty copy of you it's not going to matter because you're hurtling towards death <gasps> and no one loves you oh my god <laughs> You have sold it to me as being the dad's film. Really? That's brilliant. Oh my God. Yes, I love that. Yeah, because he seems genuinely upset. He's there like seriously believing that everyone forgot or flaked. Yeah. And And then he thinks they've broken in or like he thinks someone's broken into his house. And like when when they surprise him, he's like, you didn't need to do that. And then he goes, please, you didn't need to do that. That's like, so again, true. So it's obviously like really, he's not quite like, you know, they've, or they've upset him once by yeah. like forgetting his birthday and then they've upset him a second time by scaring the shit out of him. And, and also when he, 
hears a sound or thinks there's someone's broken in and he opens the door that's when the the coat rack is like dislodged and then pushes the mirror down on the wall oh is it i missed that that's interesting so it creates like the sequence of events where then that mirror crashes it's because it was dislodged initially and he does say something about i can't remember what it is about like some says something about aging. I can't remember what it is, but at the beginning of the dinner party, like mm. maybe like should I be fitted for denture? I can't remember what he says, uh-huh. but it's something to do with like the physicality of aging, and it's like a joke. Yeah, but like I think he's got like the double trauma of aging, like really thinking he might die at that minute because mm-hmm. there was someone in his house, and then also just being alone in the world, and like your ungrateful children have forgotten about you. Oh wow, I um, love that. So he's just like, and so like all the all the rest of the events are just like it's just kind of him losing the will to live and to have relationships because of the yeah. hurt that is, it was inflicted and that the 12 hours before the surprise oh my party. god it's all an externalization of his trauma yeah basically <laughs> loving that okay cool <laughs> that is that's top shelf stuff sarah Thank i really you. like that um but okay, so it's I, I, I came up with something with the super glue thing as well, because mm. I noticed that and the swapping of the lubricant for the super glue, right, as, a, as an act of revenge for a cheating spouse. The, the fact that the two substances, the lubricant and the super glue, look similar, they're like clones of each other in this instance. He's like swapped them. Oh, true. You know, the lubricant facilitates sexual intercourse, so it's like eros and something good, a positive outcome, while the other substance, superglue, creates the painful problem of being stuck together. Mm. So people merging together, it's like that creates a doubling. It's like this weird creature that's stuck together oh, by its genitals. It's so scary. <laughs> I, don't like I know. It. It's awful. Once again, we're back to the human centipede. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the conjoined twins. The conjoined sex twins. Oh, it's gross. It's absolutely disgusting. But this idea that like this doubling prefigures Thanatos element, which is not good. It's something to be avoided. You don't want to be stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be able to like, yes, interact, but then come away and separate and individuate. Here, the double creates the problem of being stuck so and and that sort of prefigures all these mirror clones that are kind of emerging Mm. they actually replace your real personality Mm. so you're actually stuck with your this automaton taking over your life the other thing that i that i thought about was the fact that gina is a radiologist Mm -hmm. and you know we see her in her I i love all the work shots of her working in the hospital um, looking at like x-rays and scans of people's insides and she's able to like read them and inter- interpret them diagnose etc mm. but the point is she sees she sees through people you know oh, yeah. and the act of looking here and in, in the broken is kind of like uh, I suppose themed in that way of seeing through and when she stares at herself in the mirror she's seeing through herself she's seeing she's seeing through the mirror and she sees a self that is destructive and that comes out and takes over her life and it's like post-accident obviously spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie but post-accident you know she thinks she's the real gina but actually Mm -hmm. she's the clone who murdered the real self 
you know that's yeah. it's such a perfect adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's William Wilson um I mean it's the best I've ever seen I think it's even better than and just in terms of the it's it, the intertextual relationship I think it's better than Black Swan I, although I prefer Black Swan as a film for other reasons yeah. but um so there is that so it's the seeing through you know um the science of um x-rays and photographic images of the internal composition of the human body being applied in this double way you know of actually a sign of being able to see your inner life and it's dark and disgusting Mm. um okay the other thing i thought was that going back to the cap gras syndrome (laughs) is that do you remember post birthday party when Gina drives Stefan, she gives him a lift home. Mm-hmm. And they have this like brief conversation in the car before he gets dropped off. And he's saying something like, oh, you know, uh, I'll give you a drawer at my place if you want to stay over. And she kind of mocks that and says, oh, a whole drawer. I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready for that commitment kind of thing. Yeah. So it kind of suggests that maybe they have different needs or expectations from this relationship like it seemed to me at that stage that Stefan was the more maybe leaning towards the more casual um quality of the relationship whereas maybe Gina wanted something a bit more intimate maybe a bit I don't know it's it's almost it's almost I felt like it prefigured a conversation where she might have suggested they live together actually that's really interesting because when I first watched that I thought that it was her that was ambivalent about the relationship but now you said that I can I can see what you it's like to the fact that she points out because she says that she wants to sleep in the house yeah which made me think she was maybe ambivalent but like the fact that she says, "Well, I've got to sleep at my house because um, I, go I don't have home. anything. I, yeah. you know, I don't have any clean knickers because I am always yeah. going from like, your house to my house. Yeah, and I don't have time to do laundry. So, yeah, you're totally right. She's like kind of hinting that it's not convenient. For her. It's not convenient. Yeah, exactly. And just having a drawer is not a, a reassuring gesture, kind of yeah. thing. So, okay, so let's let's park that for a minute, and then all of the things go down and she, there's the accident and there, you know, doctors start to suspect that she has Capgras syndrome because she believes that Stefan has been replaced by an identical looking imposter. What she actually says to her therapist is the man in the apartment is not my boyfriend. Yes. And the therapist is like, well, you know, we all have different relation, re- relationships with different levels of intimacy and stuff. So at face value, it sounds like she's saying, I don't recognize him as my boyfriend. You know, he hasn't been a boyfriend to me. But actually, that is the real meaning of this, of this, of her story, mm-hmm. is that this whole other like horror, you know, horror dimensions and the the other bits happening in the plot are really just a kind of like externalization of the horrible feeling that you think you know someone. But actually, they're not there with you. They're not really your boyfriend. It's kind of coming to terms with the reality that he's unwilling to commit to the relationship. He's not the man he, she thought he was, you know? Oh, that's really interesting. There's a lot of like maybe historical issues also maybe with her mother and maybe the dad as well. Because she finds this picture in the apartment with the dad's face like scratched out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's like the missing 
they're missing parents in various ways. Maybe the, the mother passed away and the father is there, but who is he really? Like there's like that weird ambivalence towards him. Or maybe the father is the kind of guy who thinks it's funny, thinks that super glue story is funny. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe that points out that he's a little bit sadistic and like maybe he yeah. was sadistic to their mother and she left or, or died, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also like that could be read even like, not just as a subjective psychological drama, but maybe even politically, because he works at the American embassy. Mm, that's true. And he's an American in the UK. So there's this weird relationship between the two countries, you know, a special relationship, uh, to coin a phrase. <laughs> and it's this strange thing of like America being a double, like a clone of the English speaking world, mm -hmm. you know, or, or the UK in itself. And this kind of like distant cousin that exists, but is, but there's some destructive elements, you know, within that political or, ge you know, geopolitical relationship. Yeah, that's true. Because so much of the film takes place in the American embassy. I mean, the old building, not the one in Battersea now, um, which I actually preferred. I preferred the old building. I think it, it's, it's a nicer architecture, but mm. whatever. <laughs> no one asked you. I know, yeah. exactly. I'm so annoyed that I was not in that, in that memo. But, um, I feel like this film could be read geopolitically as well, you know, as the dis the destructive doubling of a nation state. Definitely, definitely, and I I really yeah. like your relationship angle because mm. and it does it does like relate back to that story of like intimacy is terrifying. Yeah, um, like partly because you could get like fused together, or partly because your like significant other could like play a horrible trick on you. <laughs> Or because, you know, your significant other could cheat on you. Like, all of those, like, there's so many warnings in it. Yeah. Um, so no wonder it kind of, like, triggers the events. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's funny. You know, this whole business with the fusing together. Mm. Um, this was not my first time encountering this in a story. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I, for some reason, was reading novels that were not age-appropriate at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was reading, like quite racy novels, actually. Like, I, was, I mean, I say a kid, I was like maybe 10, 11, you know, I was like five or anything. But maybe around 10 years old, I started reading Jackie Collins. Oh, wow. And when, and I remember there was, I can't remember which book exactly it was because I read all her books. But I would like, I would get away with reading them also by like changing the sleeve. I would put like a children's book sleeve over the top of the novel. <laughs> So no one would ever be the wiser. And I would be reading these in polite company. Like I, my parents would take me out to like their friend's house and everyone would be together in the same room. And I'd just be like reading Jackie reading, Collins. Reading Jackie. And no one knew what I was reading. They thought I was reading like a kid's novel. Anyway, that's an aside. But there was this story involving, I can't remember which character, but it was in one of the Lucky Santangelo books where there was no super glue involved but for some physical reason like some like muscle spasms <laughs> two of the characters like the man and woman when they were having sex they became fused together mm -hmm. like they were conjoined and they couldn't get out <laughs> I've, so they yeah. had to be transported to the hospital <laughs> like by the people working at the hotel or something it's funny um, because that's the only um, that's the only urban legend that teaches men to fear women rather than the other way around. But the thing is, I I 
I was female and I was scared. Yeah, it is frightening. <laughs> I was really scared. And that's that's one of the main reasons why I delayed doing anything like, you know, sexual. Oh, my until, God. For a very long time. I was scared that was going to happen to me. Wow. I was like, I don't want to be stuck to anybody. I don't want to get stuck. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, um, maybe this is TMI, but I was on, I was 21 when I lost my virginity. Because, because of, that. of Jackie Collins. Yes. That's the opposite of how Jackie Collins should work. I know. <laughs> I know, but that that's the one, that was my one takeaway. Reading all those books, instead of like focusing on all the sensual elements and like, you know, the positive stuff going on in the bedroom between people. No, I, I decided to like obsess over this very, very, very improbable event that I would get stuck. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I was so scared. And I was like, I think I got like I'm, the people I was, you know, meeting or dating or whatever. There weren't that many of them for various reasons. When it got to that point and I would always like back out, I think they were always like, "What? what is the matter with this person? Like, what, what am, I, am I not good enough? Like, I think I developed a, a little bit of a reputation as being like... A tease. A tease or like unattainable or something like that. Like, I, that kind of followed me around for a while. But no one knew the truth. No one knew that I just was scared. Well, <laughs> that if, they would happen to to this, me. if they listen to this podcast, now they know. And maybe... <laughs> They're going to go to their therapists on Thursday and be like, you know what? I've been carrying this around for a long time, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It was about Jackie Collins. Oh my God. Yeah, she wasn't really rejecting me. Yeah. She was. She just didn't want to go to like ER or something. Yeah, attack with a, a man attached to her. <laughs> so I funny. know. I was completely clueless and an idiot. But um, but yeah. That's that's just like a little personal story. But here's why I thought this would be a good film to end on, actually. If you recall, that entire family, there's so many great kill scenes. Yeah. By the way, I love the shower scene. The shower scene's the best. We figure out eventually that every single member of this family, you know, the dad, the you know, Gina, the brother's girlfriend, they all get killed by their mirror clones. Yeah. But the brother doesn't. No. He's, he, but but why is that? And I thought to myself, why is he the final boy of this film? And I realized it's because he's an artist. Oh, interesting. So why do you think that being an artist makes him immune? There may even be a mirror clone out there of him trying to get him. I thought right? there was. Like, I thought there's a scene where he's standing very still in his studio. And I thought that was his clone. I, th I think that's a red herring. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, we don't, we never really see any, because with the other characters, we see the mirrors breaking, but with him, there is no evidence of that. So there, he may or may not have an, a, a mirror clone out there in the, in London hunting him down, but he always gets away because when he goes to the hospital, he, 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 he thinks he's reaching out to his sister, but it's really the mirror clone. But then he gets away from her. And I think the fact that he survives maybe suggests that the artistic process is a survivalist strategy for how you might encounter your terrifying double. That's so, that's really good theory. I have something to mm. add to it though. Yeah. It's established at the dinner party that he does not look in the mirror often. 
Yeah. Because he's got paint on his face. Do you remember she takes a picture of him and she goes, oh, you're so ugly. You're ugly, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because he's 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 not prone to looking in the mirror. It's Maybe just... because he's just like, you know, he's very caught up with his work. Like, yeah. you know, he's like, he's experiencing so much like eros and jo- jouissance and, you know, uh-huh. all of that stuff that you encounter when you're in a kind of, and he's clearly, he's like in a spurt of great creativity because he's got a show coming up. He's yeah. really pleased with the work. So it just hasn't like, it hasn't occurred to him to like study his reflection and you know scare himself like we used to do if we had anything better to do wow yeah exactly <laughs> if we had exhibitions maybe we wouldn't have done that <laughs> yeah exactly we'd be selling out at Sotheby's and yeah. like yeah <laughs> we hadn't have done that um, okay, no, I really like your theory. So that's good. So because he's kind of in the zone of his creativity, he's so immersed and unbothered. Um, he's so caught up in his own kind of process, but in a really good way, like not yeah. in a kind of narcissistic way, in the, in the best possible way, in the most sublimated way, that he's sort of like, that acts as a kind of protection for him against the dangers of creating like maybe a, maybe a, a phony facade of himself out there, an aut- automaton. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I like that addendum. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That was, I really enjoyed talking about these films. especially. Yeah. I know. I know. I love The Broken. Like I can't, I don't know how many people I've recommended this film to. I feel like it's so underrated. It's also quite hard to find to watch. I know. And to resort to illicit methods to get it done. No, that's okay. You got to do what you got to do. I understand. Um, I mean, just on on a final note in terms of star signs. So Duncan Jones is a Gemini. Of course, someone in this series was Gemini. (laughs) Otherwise, it would have been quite disappointing. I know. I know. It's it's good to have Gemini's get a bit of positive representation Mm -hmm. um, in the series. The the doubling element of Gemini. It makes sense. But with the broken, I was like searching um, Sean Ellis's birthday. This is a huge mystery. I have no idea when when he was he was born in 1971. Duncan Jones was born in 1970. So there's like there are two like good Gen Xers, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there is no record of Sean Ellis's actual birth date, which is so frustrating. Like I looked everywhere online. I think I might have to resort to cu- calling Tony and asking him when was Sean born. <laughs> Yeah, you might have to. Uh, Just because I do want to know. I do want to know. I need to know. I need to know. I'm so I'm like dying for him to be a Scorpio. But it also it also like adds to the mystique of the broken, the fact that the director's birthday is like unknown. That's true. Like, is, is he a mirror clone? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um also I found out that Sean Ellis is a big fan of uh, Roman Polanski. And he was inspired by The Tenant and Repulsion to make The Broken, which is kind of perfect because I love those movies as well. There's a scene in The Broken where the brother is inside the apartment building. They're like in the staircase mm-hmm. and his neighbor. Oh, yeah, that was remember? really good. That was really good. And like he drops his fruit or his oranges or whatever. That's straight out of The Tenant. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Right? Yeah. And that kind of implies that it's happening all over. Like, because yeah. he's a friend of his wife. Exactly. Exactly. It's an epidemic. Um, I'm on timesofindia.com. Uh-huh. And it says that Sean Ellis was born June the 1st. 
So does that make Re- him a Gemini? He's a Gemini. Well? Two Geminis. Ge- oh my god, that's uncanny. I don't know how Times of India knows um <laughs> like where no one else does, so they might have just guessed. So Oh, okay, oh now god. right now I'm getting January first on uh. happy happy birthday.net. <laughs> Okay, so he may be a Capricorn. He could be a Capricorn or he could be. Uh, this is frustrating. It's very frustrating. That's okay, so... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Tony and ask and hopefully I'll know and then just post on social media. All right, cool. Another one, companycheck.co.uk. Short Mr. Uh-huh. Sean Ellis, director information, um, says date of birth June 1968. So that's wrong too. What? <laughs> oh my God. Maybe okay. that's a, a director of something else yeah oh it's so frustrating so annoying you know what? i really enjoyed talking about these two films me too great episode great episode as always if you're listening if you got to this point thank you you're amazing we love you um and as always make sure that you are subscribed to us wherever you listen if you could rate and review us on itunes that is that would be amazing because that would just like help us reach more listeners yeah, it's really, really nice to get those. Um, and we haven't had one since March. So Yeah, we want to like get your feedback. We'll do one this month. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, yeah. no pressure. But yeah, we'd love to, we'd just love to get that um, feedback online because it just helps us get more reach. And it's just cool for us to hear from you. We love interacting with you on social media. And we will have some exciting news soon about Patreon. So watch this space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Me too. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.